This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shark flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight on the June the 14th, 2013 edition of This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, and I am the host of this weekly 
radio program bringing you news and views from the world of tennis. From the teeny all the way up to the top pros in the world, we cover it all. And by way of introduction, I am the resident tennis professional at the beautiful Corfu Holiday Palace in Corfu, Greece. I've been here for 11 years and we do lots of different things here. We have a boarding school and we do work with juniors and we work with a lot of kids who just you know, never played and adults too. Kids all the way from up from I'd say age 5 to 80. We cover it all. And if you want to take part in a great tennis vacation, just hit me up at philmasons.com. The French Open is past us. Wimbledon is upon us in a couple weeks. And joining me to talk all about it is our friend from craigdoylephotography.com. Please welcome Mr. Craig Doyle. Craig, what's up, dude? How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, Phil. You know, it's been a long and stressful week, but uh, I'm here, ready to talk some tennis and looking forward to getting stuck into the show this week. Yeah, long and stressful. You got that right. And it is late. What is it? 11.30 p.m. your time? Uh, yes, it is. It's 1.30 p.m. or a.m. my time. But we're here to talk tennis. The French Open. The semifinals. I'll tell you what. That match between Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic was a cracker of a tennis match, don't you think? Yeah, it was, you know, like everything that everyone had built it to be because a lot of the uh, the professional journalists, um, commentators, even the fans were building this one up when the draw came out that this semi-final was going to be the match to see. And I don't think anyone went away disappointed after watching that match. No, that's for sure. You know, I got to tell you, that was a very entertaining tennis match, man. A long match, too. Uh, was there ever a doubt in your mind that Nadal would pull that out? You know what, Phil? I said it here last week on the show. I actually thought he would win a little bit more comfortably, but uh, I really didn't have any doubts about Nadal winning the tournament. There's just something about Roland Garros. It's his house. It's you know the, the place where he plays his best tennis every single year. He just gets to this level that's almost unmatchable on clay. And even when Djokovic saved the, the match in the fourth set, took it into the fifth set, got the break, you just never feel like Rafael Nadal was out of the match on that particular court. And again, when it got to six all in the final set, you just thought Nadal was playing in a way that he looked like he had so much energy and so much extra to give. It was uh, not really... A doubt in my mind that he would win. Usually that energy, though, in that fifth set is reserved for Djokovic. You know, we can say whatever we want about that kid, but one thing's for sure. He puts on a show, doesn't he? Yeah, he puts on a great show of uh, attacking tennis. You know, he's not afraid to go for his shots. He'll take on the low percentage ball. He'll try down the line when sometimes it's easier to go cross court, and it's really good to watch. Um, just unfortunately on this occasion, he was playing on that particular court against Nadal and just Nadal just seems to find another level on that court for some reason. You know, there's some things it's difficult to explain, but this guy uh, on a clay court at that particular tournament, he's just so, so difficult to break down. And I think Djokovic found, even with his best attack in tennis, it, it was not 
enough to, to break through Nadal's defense on the sort of slower clay courts. No, you're right. And then there was that little incident where uh, Novak hit the net, ran into the net, and he got upset about it because he was called for it. What was the deal behind that? Was that that was strange to me? That was just strange. A lot of people were flaming him on Facebook. What was up with that? You know, it's quite a strange incident because had he not hit the net, he'd hit a winner. He'd hit a good winner. Um, what seemed to be the issue was that. After he hit the winner, the ball had not bounced for the second time. Therefore, technically, it was still live, even though it was never going to be anything other than a winner. But what ended up happening is he sort of stumbled into the net, and Nadal sort of pointed at the net to indicate to the umpire that Djokovic had hit the net. And Djokovic basically tried to argue the point that he'd hit a winner anyway. There was no way Nadal was getting to the ball, even if, he had tried, and unfortunately, um, you know, the rules are the rules. The ball wasn't dead, and unfortunately for Djokovic, that meant that uh, he didn't win that particular point. And that kind of had a, played a little turning point, didn't it? Was, was that I like think a turning psychologically, point? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. You know what the thing is, is that people were flaming Djokovic about not knowing the rules. Can't, how come he doesn't know? Man, look... <laughs> Got to protect the young fella here. I, I can see where he was screaming. I think his big beef was he thought the ball hit twice. And when he hit, he thinks that the ball hit the ground the second time before he hit the net. Now, that's clearly not the case. But, you know, this is in the middle of an intense competition. And sometimes people lose their mind. You know, and that's what happened there. It's nothing to do with his knowledge of the rules. I mean, he knows what he did or didn't do. Everyone knows. It's pretty obvious. But to rip on the guy because he uh, lost it for a minute, I thought it was kind of cool watching him lose it like that in a way because it just shows that he cares. You know, that's something that I see. I don't see very much of. Not very much at all. Now, the outcome was the outcome. There are a lot of people, though, that think this was a stupid uh, semifinal because uh, they'd rather see Djokovic in a final because the final was a snooze fest, and we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, what? How, how do you fix that? I mean, what do you do? There's nothing you can do, is there? It's the draw. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, you want a draw, and if you want a fair draw, that's what happens. Sometimes you end up with that matchup in the semifinal, Sometimes you end up with that matchup in the final. And to be fair to every single competitor in the draw, that's how it is. If you're going to fix it, you might as well just not bother having 128 people in the draw. Why not just have two if that's what you want, you know? But that's not how it is. We're, we're playing tennis with 128 people, not just two. So you've got to have it fair for everyone. And it was, you know, it's just here's the deal. Just go out and win. You know, but it's tough to beat Nadal at Roland Garros. And that second semifinal, ugh, good grief. What is with Joe Willifried Sanger? He just went out there and just, how do you, this is the thing, this is why the French press kills this guy. Here's a guy who had the grandest opportunity in the world. I mean, he grew up playing there. He knows how to play on that surface. Far and away the more athletic player of the two. 
And yet David Ferrer kicked the living daylights out of him. And it almost looked as if Joe Willifried was not even trying. Am I wrong there? Uh, it's difficult to say, you know, he's reached this semi-final. They've probably given him the choice of whether he wants to play in the first semi-final earlier in the day or the second one later in the day. So a lot of things have gone in Joe's favor. But you might recall, if you listened to the show last week, that I actually picked David Ferrer to blow Songa away quite easily. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I think a lot of people got a little bit carried away last week when... Songa beat Federer in straight sets. They sort of got this idea that Songa was made now. He, he was coming of age. He was going to be the uh, you know fifth man of the top five sort of thing. And you know we're going to get a repeat of Yannick Noah thirty years ago, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I think a lot of people just didn't read into the victory over Federer, the same things I read, whereas I thought it was just one of those days that we've seen from Joe Wilfred Songa a lot of times where when his serves work and when his backhand's solid, he's got what you would refer to as the million-dollar game. And yeah, sure, he had this big opportunity, and I, I don't think Joe Wilfred is going to get a better opportunity Um not at the French Open, probably not at any Grand Slam to reach another final than he did there against David Ferrer because, you know, had that been Andy Murray over the net or uh, Novak Djokovic over the net, you wouldn't fancy Songa. But against Ferrer, you would say he has a, a better opportunity. And yeah, I, I can agree that he blew it. And I I think he uh, he just didn't go into the match as he should. I didn't think he had the positive mindset. I... I think he got off to a bad start and he got bogged down by that. And, you know, 5 0 down in the first set, the crowd started getting on his back. And he had a really bad day, really difficult day. And uh, you could see the frustrations of the French people and you could understand the frustrations because this was a real opportunity for everyone involved Songa, the French people, and uh, French tennis in general. Well, they turned on him, that's for sure. That <laughs> was. No doubt in my mind or anyone else's who that crowd was uh, who that crowd was for at the beginning and who was against at the end. You know, it's pretty tough to piss off your hometown crowd. <laughs> but he found a way to do it, didn't he? And that's that's too bad. It just goes back to what they say about French tennis players. And it's unfortunate that they say it, but it seems to be true more and more each day that these guys aren't willing to die on the tennis court or do what it takes to get to the next level because they're so spoiled and pampered. And it looks like this is the case. What do you do with your Joe Willifried Sanga, though? How do you come back from something like that? Because, you know, he reached this great high by beating Roger Federer, and it was a good match for him. Federer kicked the ball around a little bit. But still in all, how do you come back from that? You this has got to be devastating for him. Yeah, I think it will be, but he's... Just moving on to the surface now that I think he plays best on, which is the grass, he can get that serve working. He can get a lot more free points on the grass. He doesn't have to rally so much. Plus, he gets to do that ridiculous thing where he does that diving volley that he does. He wins a few points. He gets the British crowd going. And I think that's a, something that's quite an interesting factor with Songa is that the British crowd 
quite like him because he's entertaining. He's, you know, good-natured guy. He's got a good sense of humor. The, the British like that. They, they like the way he plays the game, his attacking sort of style of tennis. So he's probably moving into the best environment possible to help him recover. Uh, whether that happens or not, you know, that, that'll depend on Wimbledon. And we'll probably look at that in a couple of weeks' time and evaluate how he's managed to bounce back from this French Open disappointment. But, you know, for him, he's just got to go out there and keep playing tennis. His coach has got to get the mindset into him that, you know, Grand Slam coming up, pick yourself up, we've got to go again. And a lot of players have got to do that. There's a lot of guys who have the potential to do a lot better than they're doing and they, they end up getting crushed and you've got to go out there and pick yourself up. I mean, there's only one winner every tournament. Everyone else is going to go away disappointed. So you can't let that affect your game in the long term. Yeah, but it will because, you know, your own hometown crowd just rips you. The newspapers just rip you. The media is tough sometimes on these young people. I was really tough on these young folks too, but then I stopped being really. I feel sorry for the guy because, you know, he had the chance of a lifetime. It's probably not going to happen again. He just can't get over the hump. But David Ferrer had a great week, or great two weeks. Heck, he had a great clay court season. And you know what? I, I was thinking while he was uh, hammering Songa, I said maybe he should complain that Rafael Nadal is in the trainer's room getting a massage while he's out there playing and he won't get the same amount of rest as Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that was uh, the argument from uh, Mr. Nadal earlier in the week. But um, when it comes to the semi-final stage, you know how it is. They've got to get that match on the big court. And unfortunately, someone gets to go first and someone gets to go second. And... You know, it is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah, but you see the reasoning behind it, though, right? That's what he complained about. Yeah, certainly, you know, but... But it's a different issue because it favors him, you see. (laughs) That's that's a different issue. Boy, I tell you what, my inbox is full from last week. And it's all good. I don't mind, you know. The guy's off his rocker sometimes, and it is what it is. The women's semifinal. Good, I'm sorry, the women's final. That was like a foregone conclusion. And you know what? It brings up the age-old debate. And I was involved in that last yesterday. I was a guest on Sports Goons Radio. And I was talking with the host, Jamie and Smith, about Serena being the greatest of all time. Is Serena the greatest? Every time she wins a Grand Slam... From here on out, or from the last two or three on out, the same arguments are made. Serena is the greatest of all time. Is it even time to have that argument? Is it even an argument? Yeah, it is an argument, isn't it? I mean, there are some fabulous players who have played throughout the years in the women's competitions. And there are some who have tallied up so many Grand Slams that you almost lose count of the uh, number of tournaments they've won. But I think the greatest of all time argument is always a difficult one when you're comparing people from different eras. They have different people they competed against, different levels of competition, different styles of play, different equipment, different levels of physicality. So it's not easy to just go out and say such and such a player is the greatest of all time. 
And, and one of the things I have noticed in terms of sports is that a lot of people who have only really seen the one person or the person who's the most current person that they are referring to as the greatest of all time, um, they, they tend to get drawn into the current person being better just because it's the one they're familiar with or the one that they're seeing in the current era. So, you know, maybe there's a good argument for Serena being right up there, but uh, we did a show not so long ago where we listed our top 10 female uh, players of all time, and Serena was definitely up there, but she wasn't number one. Not at that time, but we may reevaluate that in a year or two, and Serena might be further up that list. Yeah, that's what I kind of tried to um, explain to Jamians, but uh, he's got Serena number one because of what he thinks she will do. And that's fair enough. You know, that's fair enough. But she worked over Sharapova again. There really is not a consistent, competitive rival for Serena, is there? No, on the tour at the minute, there certainly isn't. I mean, I was toying with this idea of writing an article last week, which I ended up not writing, that would have highlighted why the top three players are so far ahead of everyone else. And it's quite simply because these three girls have power and consistency. But within that top three... Serena's just got more power, more consistency than the other two. She she just dominates the other two almost every time she goes out in court against them. And it's uh you know, it it's actually a one person tour at the minute. It has been for pretty much the last season since Serena's been fit again. And it will continue to be too. Because these girls are afraid of her. It's like they freeze when they play her. You know, Serena can spray the ball around the court, and it doesn't even matter because she just wins the next point. It's like she's playing out there all by herself. I don't know, man. Does that make it for a better tour or worse in the fan standpoint? Because to me, it would be difficult to go watch her participate in a final and pay for it, knowing that the other player isn't even going to put up much of a fight. Yeah, to have one dominant person is not good for any sport or one dominant team that wins every season. It devalues the competition when you pretty much know who the winner's going to be, barring the, you know, the huge shock of them losing against someone. Um, the question is, can Sharapova, can Azarenka find another level, another gear, a way to neutralize Serena? And I, I think there are ways to do it. It's just a case of their coach identifying that and finding a way to tap into it, finding a way to turn her power against her and perhaps move her around the court a little bit more to to exploit her weaknesses. And, you know, Azarenka's come close a couple of times. US Open final last year, she put up a great fight. But thus far, nobody's found a way to bring down Serena's consistency to stop her attack and play. And, you know, I wouldn't be keen on paying for a ticket for a women's final with Serena in it because I, I feel that it was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, she really worked. There, That wasn't even close, that tennis match with Sharapova. And that's a pity, really, because, you know, Sharapova, and people were giving her a hard time, and what is she to do? You know, she did her best, but Serena has a number on her. 
or has her number, just like Serena has everyone's number right now. And people are saying, you know, she's going to end up breaking the record for uh, most Grand Slams. Come on now. That's a lot more to go. She's 31. She has had health issues in the past. And I'm not trying to bring any bad luck on the girl at all. But still in all, she's 31. She's got a long way to go. She's got, well, six more to tie Steffi. Two more to tie Margaret Court. Can she do it? Uh, at this stage, I would probably say no. I mean, you're talking about another eight Grand Slams to equal Margaret Court, which would mean winning the next eight, which is uh, two years' worth of play, stretching you know, from Wimbledon through to the French Open. That would be another two French Opens. She's only actually won two French Opens in her career thus far. Um, to be playing at that age and still having the, the movement and the, the, the drive to, to beat girls like Azarenka, uh, it would be a surprise. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of good players, but even when you look back at the history, you don't see too many people winning all four Grand Slams in a year too often. So to do that two years consecutively would be difficult. Will she play on a lot longer than that? It's difficult to tell, isn't it? You don't know who's coming up around the corner. You don't know form injuries. I just can't see her getting another eight. Uh, what she's done thus far is uh, an amazing achievement. I think she'll add more this year. I think she'll win Wimbledon. But, uh, you know, I think she may just fall short of even Steffi Graf. Yeah, that might be true. I think you're right. One thing about it, her is this. She won that crowd over by uh, speaking French to them. Well done. <laughs> well done, Serena. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, it was nice to see her engaged in the crowd in that way because I think she got a lot of criticism last year with the first round loss and uh, obviously that was to a French player and you know the French crowd do try to back their own players but uh, the way she spoke French to the crowd and stuff it showed she was making that sort of effort to engage the crowd and they responded in kind by showing a little bit of appreciation back they most certainly did all right you know what we're going to take a break and when we return we're going to talk about the men's final between Rafael Nadal and David Ferrer, and then we're just going to talk a little tennis. You're listening to This Week in Tennis on Match Sports Channels. Are you tired of boring sports websites that's about the same old company line? If you are, then I'd invite you to stop over to thesportsgoons.com. The Reggie Commentary and a weekly podcast highlighting today's issues is second to none. That's the sportsgoons.com. The new media has arrived. Hi, this is Phil Nasons from This Week in Tennis and the Phil Nasons Show. Max Sports Channels offers the best in sports talk radio as well as great music 24 hours a day. It's my daily destination, and I hope it's yours. The sports talk begins. Each and every day at 3 p.m. And it ends around 9 p.m. Special programming on the weekends. And in between all that, 
the hottest music on the internet. That's Max Sports Channels. Make it your daily destination. If you're moving to the Atlanta area or simply looking to buy that new dream home, we'll look no further than to real estate agent Latrissa Fryson. Latrissa has over 10 years in real estate experience and she's anxious to put you in your brand new home. For more information, you can contact Latrissa at latrissa.com. That's L-E-T-R-I-S-S-A.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we come together. Cool. And I think it's cool. Somebody's going to be having fun tonight. <laughs> All I want to do is go have a good time. It's all about tonight. Bill Nason. Some of the things that these people say. Jimmy Z. That is such twisted logic. Alex Jones. You heard it here first. Now it's mainstream news. Weeknights, starting at 10 Eastern. Okay, well, let's go party. Baby. Yeah, tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. Ah, it's a lot of fun. I said tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. It's all about tonight. And we'll have fun, I promise. Yeah, it's all about tonight. Weeknights on the Talk Superstation. It's all about tonight. Welcome back to This Week in Tennis. Uh, it is June the 14th, 2013. We're talking French Open, a recap, men's final. We're here with Craig Bull from CraigBullPhotography.com. The men's final. That You know, lately, the finals have just been lame, haven't they? And this one was not much to see, was it? No, unfortunately, it was a bit of a bit of a lame final. Um, I think everyone knew what was going to happen. They pretty much predicted that it was going to be straight sides to Nadal. And even the improvements for us made to his game this year, which have been pretty significant for him against a lot of other opponents, they didn't really help him on clay against Nadal. And uh, it, <laughs> you, you could think that uh, the we were discussing in the first half of the show that uh, watching the final with Serena and it was going to be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of waste of money. The Ferrer and Nadal matchup could probably be considered kind of similar. It was never really going to be a contest and proved not to be. Yeah, it was, well, it was bad luck for David Ferrer. I mean, but he did get to his very first final, a Grand Slam final. Hats off to him. You know, he stuck with it. And now he's pretty much set for life. He probably is anyway, but now he can open up his tennis academy and life is good. But it was a snooze fest. But the interesting thing was the uh, political statement that was attempted to be made down there, huh? That was the most interesting part of the whole tennis. (laughs) Yeah, the French Open seems to have a bad reputation, actually, for people managing to get themselves onto the court surface. Um, you know, we don't want to talk about some of these instances that have happened down the years, but there have been several times where someone's encroached on the playing surface, and uh, you just got to wonder what the French security is doing. Well, that was my thought. Gosh, I was a little scared there for a minute. You know, think about it. If you're playing, you're out there on the court, and you see this crap coming at you, you're going to freak out. I mean, people have been stabbed on the tennis court. Monica Sellis, for example. All kinds of crazy, foolish things happen. Yeah, what is with the French security, man? They're sleeping at the job. But then again, that match probably could help, didn't help much if they were had to watch that because that 
almost put me to sleep Sunday. I got to tell you, it was quite boring. But Rafael Nadal picks up his eighth French Open crown. A record, by the way. And that argument comes up, too. Is he the greatest of all time? What do you think about him? Again, is is this an argument we should be having right now with Rafael Nadal? No, I, I find it very difficult to have that argument unless someone's actually finished their career. You know, you could underline their achievements, what they've done. You're not trying to stack up potential future winnings with what they've already achieved. We could say at the moment that he's probably the greatest clay court player of all time. He's proven that with the number of uh, clay court victories he's had at Roland Garros and um, smaller ones at, say, Monte Carlo. I don't think there's ever been a player like him on clay. Um, People will will point at Bjorn Borg, but I think he's surpassed that. But we've got to consider these days that tennis is a, a sport that's played on multiple surfaces. And Rafael Nadal, while he is undoubtedly the best on one surface, it's debatable whether he's the best on hard courts or grass courts or whatever. And the rest of the season might show where he is at the moment on those surfaces. But you just can't, in my mind, go out and say this guy with eight Roland Garros titles suddenly becomes the best player of all time. It's it's not... uh, it's not something you can compare to other people who have had great achievements, such as Roger Federer or um, whoever you want to pick from uh, any era, to be honest. There's a lot of players who have achieved a lot of things, put together fantastic winning streaks, won multiple Grand Slams, etc. So, again, it's a difficult argument to have, and you know people can argue it all they want, but I, I'm not going to be drawn on it, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll probably get sucked into it because I do some various gigs with the radio, as you know, and I'll probably get sucked into that. Yeah, he is the best ever on clay, at least in my opinion. He's proven that. At least he's the best at Roland Garros. But yeah, he's a little shaky on the other surfaces, even though he does get to the finals. And and I must say, he has a winning record against all his major competitors. I mean, I must say, that says a lot for him. And not just on clay. I mean, he has a winning record all the way around on Federer, on Djokovic, on Murray. But David Ferrer, if you're David Ferrer, you got to walk away feeling pretty damn good about yourself because you got to your very first Grand Slam final, probably would be his last. And he really should be happy because he put the work in and it showed, didn't it? He's improved greatly, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, even from last year, he's made significant strides on a variety of surfaces. He's a lot more ruthless than he used to be. He's able to kill matches off pretty a lot of you know pretty quickly in comparison to how he used to toil away against people in years gone by. He's kind of closed the gap as much as I think he can. He's probably up there in the top three, perhaps four on clay at the minute. Um, I, I certainly would rate him above Mario and Clay, and he, he's pu- he's pushed his game on the hard courts. Um, I, I don't think you'll have a great deal of joy at Wimbledon. I think you'll probably find it a little bit difficult against the top players on grass. But uh, he's come a long way. He's had a good career. He got his Masters title last year, his first one, and uh, I think he'll be quite happy with that. I think he'll uh, 
at the end of the day, he'll look back and he'll feel that he's had a, a good career from tennis. Well, sure, he, he should. You know, he's put the work in, and God bless him. Congratulations. Boy, I tell you, congratulations to all the winners at Roland Garros. And congratulations to those who got at least as far as the semifinals. It's still an achievement. Even Joe Willifried's song, well, no, I don't think he should feel very good about himself. But uh, the rest of them should. Goodness, what a tournament. And I'm glad that, it, that the dirt season's over. And now we've got the grass courts happening, and that'll be a quickie before we get into Wimbledon. And, geez, we'll talk more about that next week, I guess. But uh, the next week we'll probably not be up in the middle of the night doing a show. We'll try to find a way to do it on a Saturday maybe. But uh, what are you thinking about as far as the grass? Do you, do you have a favorite for Wimbledon yet? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I've not really got a favorite. I'd love to see where Nadal is at in terms of grass because I think the faster courts are going to make things a little bit more difficult for him. I, I don't think he's going to have that time to pull off these miracle recovery shots that he could play on clay. The ball is going to zip past him. There's guys hitting flat, which is going to cause him all sorts of difficulties. But it'll be interesting to see where he's at. Djokovic is always interesting because grass seems to be the kind of court that doesn't really suit his game either. You know, he's he's won Wimbledon before, sure. And uh, he gave it a good go last year. But as we could see from last year plus the Olympics, it's it's not his great surface. Andy Murray, he's been injured. We we don't know where his uh, situation is regarding his injury. Can he play seven consecutive matches on the grass? I, I guess he probably can. He's playing out at Queen's this week. And then you've got defending champion Roger Federer. He's uh, looked kind of a step off the pace this season. He's actually not won anything on the tour, which... It's quite remarkable because usually you would have Roger as a shoe-in to win a, even a smaller tournament or a Masters tournament by now, but he's not actually won an event on the tour, so uh, it, it's difficult to, to see him coming to Wimbledon and uh, sweeping everyone away like he did last season. And then I look at some of the outside bets. Well, Songa, I just don't think he's got the mentality to win it. Juan Martin Del Pozzo, well, he played at some great tennis at the Olympics last year. Was unfortunate to lose out to Roger Federer in the semi-final there. But I've watched him already this week and he doesn't look up to full speed. He's another one who's kind of looked a few steps short. I think he missed a, a few tournaments already this season. So we, we don't know where he is with uh, potential injuries, if his wrist's holding up. So it's a really... Really close field for Wimbledon. I imagine Djokovic will probably go in his favorite. But right now it's difficult to tell. I'm going to watch this week, keep a close eye on the tournament over in Halle where Roger Federer is playing and the tournament at Queen's Club in London where we have Murray, Songa, Berdic and Del Pozzo all in action. And I'll evaluate that and uh, I think I'll pick my favorite after I see where these guys are following this week yeah i like to wait to see what happens at queens first that's usually a good indicator of what's going to happen but uh yeah Djokovic should probably be the number one seed he, he probably should be the favorite there's a little beef going on at this point 
this point, it hasn't been announced publicly yet, but we might as well just do it for him, is that Rafael Nadal will be the fifth seed at Wimbledon. And unfortunately, Andy Murray has taken exemption with that because this is another opportunity for uh, Nadal to do some real damage to some people early, isn't it? Yeah, it is. If he gets uh, seated in a section with one of these top guys, he could end up meeting them in the quarterfinal stage, which could eliminate one of these top three guys before they even get past the quarterfinals. So, you know, these guys are probably not want to see Nadal at the quarterfinal stage, then another one of their top three guys at the semifinal stage, then the other one in the final. So whoever does win Wimbledon could be you know, facing three top players in a row from the quarterfinals, which would be a very, very tough and demanding draw if anyone was to win it uh, going through that route. And Murray obviously has been the first one to vocally come out in the hope that they can raise Nadal up in the rankings so that he would avoid him until the semi-final stage. You know what, though? They have their own ranking system there and their own way to doing things, and that's just part of the charm of the All England Club. They get to choose how they do it, and that's fair enough. But, geez, it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. That is absolutely for sure. Gee, where are we going to go with this next, Greg? What do we want to talk about? You know what we should talk about? Um, you and I were having a little discussion before we came on. You were telling me about your uh, tennis academy, your tennis coaching out at the resort. And we were having a little discussion regarding an incident that happened uh, in my week this week. Um, just to let everyone know, in terms of photography, I started offering short tutorial lessons in sports photography, one-to-one sessions, hands-on. The proper, I bring the proper pro equipment along. I acquaint the person with the equipment. We go out and take sports photos. Um, they learn how the techniques required. They get hands-on, get a chance to come back, take some good photos, some real experience. And uh, I had a client this week who booked a session and no showed on me. And he called up afterwards after I got a hold of him and... Uh, we rearranged, and lo and behold, we rearranged, and despite what sounded like a good justification for the no-show the first time, he did the same to me the second time. So we kind of related that one into the tennis uh, world, and, you know, I was asking Phil, is it common for people to, to do the same sort of thing in tennis? Sure it is. <laughs> sure. The dreaded no-call, no-show. Happens quite a bit. It, it, it used to not happen as much to me when I was in America, but it happens quite a bit now. It still even does. You know, one of the things that bothers me is that people don't think of tennis teaching as a profession sometimes. You know, they don't seem to care. Like, they'll book a lesson, and then the morning of that lesson, they'll call you up and say, I can't come because I'm going to a party today. Oops, I forgot to tell you. It, it, the thing is, is that the majority of us who uh, teach tennis for a living derive our income from that hour. And we book our schedules in advance. And we don't go chase another business because we have that business. And when you cancel on us or 
no call, no show on us, you kill us. You know, it, you we don't get the money. And now, here's what happens. If you're at a club, like in America, for example, you just bill them. And that ends that right away. But you can't really bill somebody who's a walk-in or a walk-up. You know, like for me at the resort here, I deal with a lot of walk-ups. It's not a lot of fun. It, it can ruin your day. I'll tell you an interesting story. This happened a few years ago. I had affiliated with this group from North America to bring holiday makers to play tennis here. And it was going pretty well. And uh, the deal was that they would bring the people here to stay at this particular resort. And then I would book the hours in. And I would book the reservations and everything. Well, these people decided that, hey, let's go outside the pale and let's uh, just start booking lessons for anyone who happens to be going to Corfu, whether they stay at the resort or not, and taking a deposit for these lessons that they had booked. And I wrote to them and I said, hey, first of all, that's a violation of our agreement, but what happens if the person doesn't show up? And this person said, I'm going to give them their money back. I said, wait a second now, Who, what's the guarantee? What's the deposit all about? No, no, it's for the customer because they didn't think of my job as a profession. You know, why? So I'm the one that gets to lose. It's not fair, though, to the tennis pro. You know, people don't even do that to their hairdressers. Even their doggy hairdressers, they don't uh, make appointments and then cancel them. Certainly, uh, if there's an emergency, that's one thing, you know, obviously. But... It's not a lot of fun, man, to be sitting on the court. You've booked the time. And in a lot of cases, if you're working as an independent teacher, you've, you have to you book that court. You have to pay whether those people show up or not. I mean, it's not a lot of fun. And it's not a, there's no real easy way to handle it other than to bill them. And if they refuse to pay, you know, sayonara, because they don't respect what you do. You know, in your case, geez, it's too bad. But it happens a lot in tennis, man. It happens far, far too often. And again, it goes back to that. They don't think of it as a job because, you see, people go out. See, when they go to their doctor, they know they can't do what the doctor does. But a lot of people seem to think because they play tennis, they can do what you do. That what you do isn't very special. And the reality is, we're doing the same thing a doctor's doing, only different. That's all. Is that did any of that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm I'm right with you on this one. I mean, I get the same sort of feeling from people that you don't get the respect as a photographer because they uh, just have this impression that well, everyone's got a camera phone now; anyone can take a picture. Um, so you kind of get treated like, you know, well, if. You, if you upset the guy, it doesn't matter sort of thing, you know. Uh, you'll find someone else somewhere else to help you out sort of thing or to take pictures for you or you just do it yourself. So, yeah, I get the feeling that uh, it's a very similar sort of scenario uh, in terms of photography to tennis that you just sometimes don't get the sort of respect that you you should get as a as it being a profession a lot of people just get the impression well anyone can do it so uh it's not worth paying for yeah the other one we get a lot of is people call you up to play tennis with you 
and then ask you for tips. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I don't do yeah. that. I don't do that. I try to tell them I don't play for fun, but uh, because I'm on the court all day, you know, I'm not really that interested in playing unless I'm getting paid. But then when your friends come into town and, you know, they're not going to take a lesson from you, but they want you to play and you go out there and you're trying to be nice. And the last, that's really the last place you want to be. And then they start asking for advice about their forehand. And it's, that's also a very tricky uh, situation in and of itself as well. Because what do you say to your buddy? Screw you, take a lesson? When in reality, that is what it is, right? Yeah. I, you know, I got the same sort of situation. You you play some sort of sports and um, a few people suddenly fancy a picture. And the next thing you know, they're inviting you to come along and bring your camera with you just to uh, take a few pictures. So, again, it's the same sort of situation. They're asking for something for free. But hang on a second, you know, people pay me for this stuff. Uh, why would I come along and do it for free? You've you got to respect the fact that, um, you know, I make a living from this. I make my money out of this. And the, the bills don't pay themselves. And uh, if I was to go around giving everyone something for free, you know, I'd never pay the bills. Yeah, it goes back to that. Well, you don't really have a job thing, you know. And the reality is, is we do. And we work with all kinds of different people, and it's a lot of work. But it's a lot of fun, too, you know, because tennis is funny. We try to make it fun. But, yeah, it's a bummer when they say, well, what should I do? And I, I, well, maybe you should take a lesson. Or, or you know what I usually say is, you know, we do lessons here. I'll even give you a, a reduced price, but you invite me to play. And then you want to pick my brain for advice. You know, what's that all about? You don't really want me to play. You want me to give you a free lesson is what you want. And then you want me to play soft with you too so that you can uh, feel good about yourself. <laughs> it's not a lot of fun sometimes. It's not a lot of fun sometimes, but it is what it is. But, you know, doctors go through that all the time too. My friend Vasily, he goes through that all the time. They always ask him, well, what do you think is wrong with my knee? And he says, uh, call me at the office. And, and that's probably how I handle that now. Better than I used to. I used to just be nice and just tell people whatever. But I'm starting to get this impression that nice guy doesn't always work. Of course, people listening to this probably think that guy from Greece is an idiot. You know, he's a jerk. He can't be nice to anyone. But, uh, you know, we don't take our kindness for weakness, you know, and, and don't take advantage of your tennis pro. Pay him. Show up when he when you book the lesson. And if you can't book the lesson and can't make the lesson, give him 24 hours so he can get a replacement for you because that money pays his bills just like your job pays yours. Most people wouldn't like it if they uh, went to work one day and were told, well, wait, you know what? We don't have anything for you today. Sorry. You know, they would get pissed off, I'm sure. Well, tennis pros are the same way, Craig. I think that's the way it is. It's part of the world. Uh, geez, next week, what do we got? Next week, do we start preview in Wimbledon, or we have two weeks for Wimbledon, right? Uh, no, because this time next week, we will be most of the way through the what's traditionally seen as a break week for most of the big players. Um, Wimbledon will be starting on the Monday, so... The draw will not be out because it probably won't come out till the weekend. However, 
by the time we get to record the show after that, when we will have started. So I think next week's preview time. Probably so, yeah. Because uh, now, what's the date? What's the first day of the tournament? Um, I have the first day down as the twenty fourth of June. Yep. So next week we'll be doing the uh, Wimbledon preview, and we'll, what we'll try to do is uh, actually have a draw in front of us, and we'll just give you a, a ton of winners. That's what we'll probably do, Craig. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, if we change our recording slot i think we should be able to get a job in front of us yeah because this two in the morning stuff is tough because then i gotta do my baseball show oh my don't we'll figure it out don't worry we'll figure it out anyway craig thanks so much for being a part of the show it was awesome having you here once again no problem phil it's uh great to be here as always all right and that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of this week in tennis if you get a chance get over to craig's site you can find him at craigdolephotography.com Next week, we will be here previewing the championships at Wimbledon. Until then, you all take care of yourselves. And most importantly, enjoy the tennis.